In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Subscribe to Era of Geek to hear their stories. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Search for Era of Geek on your favorite podcatcher or go to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. Greetings to all and to all a warm welcome to the show where we take a nostalgic trip through an entire series one season at a time and consider them through a modern lens. I'm one of your hosts Jack alongside my international friend and co-host Tony Farina. This is TV Admired when it first aired and this is the podcast where we assess whether it stands the test of time. Some series hit immediately and acquire legions of fans overnight. Some series are criminally underseen but establish a cult following. There's no discernible pattern to how this happens and in an alternative parallel dimension, the outcome will be reversed. Here, in our recognisable universe, Fringe was a mid-level success with a devoted fan following that aired for five seasons and 100 episodes. It's smart, heartfelt and dynamic. It's the best show you've never seen. Observe this truth as we take you on a journey through Fringe. Oh, isn't that so good? He's so good. And of course, <laughs> we're, we're, we're joined, as, as is our pattern. And our even-numbered mm. issues, we, episodes, we mm. have a guest. And back from his rousing success in season two of Angel is our friend, the man who gets his comic on. Mm. The man who said, I believe, and we'll lead right into this, this show is so important to him, it almost dethroned Buffy as his favorite show. I believe I have that quote correctly. You do. Okay. You definitely do. Hero of the National House. Mr. Neil Vag. Neil. Hello. Hooray. I'm back. I'm, I'm the season two guy, aren't I? I am mm. the season two guy. You are a season two guy. Here you are. It's season two. I quite like that. <laughs> I think I might actually go change my Twitter biography to just be like at Neil Vag, the season two guy. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's see if anybody gets it. That's awesome. The season two, it's good to drop you in because there's an established Thing. Sometimes you need a new character in season two who shakes things up. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah. Even if awesome. it's for only one episode, they can appear and disappear Even if it, again. Yep. Right. Yep. Sometimes yep. it could be, I don't know, maybe a Canadian-American who's also an English princess who might just show up. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what yep. happens in season two. So um, that definitely happened in season two this time. I mean, we had an, we had a, a Canadian American British princess and fake Jason Statham all in one episode. So, <laughs> um, I, which I'm sure we'll get to as, as Jack's uh, sideshow um, and spinoff show. We'll say not sideshow, spinoff of the pop realist, the back to the filmography. It's all about Statham. So, fake Statham shows up in this one. Um, 
But Neil, why did tell tell us, man? Fringe mm. is the show that almost beat Buffy but didn't. So tell us why it almost did, and then tell us your obviously fringe history. You know what though? Rewatching season two recently, I actually I was sitting there uh, on a train up to Edinburgh yesterday, what like rewatching a few of these episodes before I watched a few more today. And I was sitting there going, Do you know what? I actually think it might have dethroned Buffy. And they, this rewatch has actually made me go, I think this might genuinely, it's so close. It's just so close. This was one of those shows that I just, I was in from day one. So I watched the pilot as soon as it was on TV, loved it, thought it was brilliant. Got through that whole first season. I actually can't think of any low points. And then every time I rewatch it, I just sail through it because I love it so much. And I really stuck with it right through to the end. And I was... It was that kind of edge of the seat thing where I was like, okay, this is on the bubble a few times in terms of cancellation. Let's like follow it from Thursdays to Fridays. Let's follow it into a shortened final season. I think I actually sat up and watched like the live simulcast of the of the finale when it showed on Sky at the same time as it was on in Fox in the States. I, I followed this to the bitter, bitter end. And it is on the annual rewatch list right alongside Buffy. That's awesome. I love that. Mm. Everything about that. So I see, because for me, it was the other way. I was that way with Buffy. Like I was there watching Buffy from the beginning. I yeah. was, I was too in my kid life at this stage. You know, it was like, oh, that show looks good. But it was not mm. streaming then. And I just had too much in life happening. But I'm, and so then it was just one of those ones, like you're kind of embarrassed you missed it. So then you just didn't go back um, to my shame. And so now I have to hold myself back. <laughs> from watching it all like to just go i'm just gonna watch all 100 episodes because i'm waiting like now officially today i can start watching season three and the problem is with season one i watched all 20 episodes in like a week and a half and then i had to wait so this time i waited and but i still watched all 23 episodes in like a week and a half. <laughs> it's so good it's it's so difficult to put it down once you start watching it that's the thing yeah. it's just the the characters are just amazing. They are just, they're all of them are just so likable. I just, it, this, yeah, I struggle to find anything to criticize about it. Yeah. And so it's Jack, also, sorry, I was, it's just that also that like balance of um, the mythology episodes, like building really add yeah. every single time. They never, ever take away, which a lot of shows do, you know, I said it last episode, I'm a big Lost fan and I always will be, but there are problems with Lost. Here, like their mythology episodes, always build, always build. And then the standalones are sometimes equally as good. So there's yeah. not many shows that manage to find that balance. And I love their their term that they came up with for this season, the myth alone. The myth alone, like, yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? Where like they're sort of creating their own rule, which makes perfect sense for this show. For sure. Yeah. And I'm just curious because I know Emma's watching it with you, Jack. Mm. So how's that been going? Is she, it's, what's, what's that like for you? What's it like for her? It's great. So um, I'm obviously having to temper my reaction to certain things because that person sitting next to me doesn't need the clue that that means something because something they're really good at in this show is that kind of foreshadowing and it'll always be through a drop line. But once you know, I'm like, ooh. See, yeah. like in season one when it was like, oh, it's as if you've got superpowers, Olivia. And I was like, inside, ooh. Just you wait. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't want to let that out on the surface. So, yeah, no, it's great. I think um, she's really enjoying it. She does struggle with the grosser body horror stuff. That's not her bag. But the the character dynamics, what I said to her when, when I said this was my next project and did she want to watch along was like the sci-fi 
monstery stuff is not really what you're into but you will love the characters and you will want to see what happens to them as you just said neil like everybody is somebody you care about every relationship is important every actor is amazing in their role um and that's what makes it so compelling and yeah definitely she um we finished probably about a week ago and it's been like when you're recording well when are you recording because when are you recording because we're going to get on with season three right yeah yeah <laughs> that's nice yeah that's so cool i was just curious how she was how she was getting on with it i mean i so she's not she doesn't have the um intestinal fortitude of astrid definitely not who does <laughs> no, but then, yeah exactly who does I, I, I this season astrid i loved her as we talked in the last season i just was like what a great i love the his girl friday character i think it's hard to pull off because it's it could always come across even from the name His Girl Friday from the original uh, Cary Grant Rosalind Russell picture it comes across as a, as demeaning as a pejorative His Girl Friday like you know like she's his possession and whatever and I know that that's what Astrid is she's all their Fridays you know she she does but they respect her and the stuff that they give the trust they have in her and the actor so charming and so good and so I think her not being squeamish really helps that role. So she's not like, yeah, yeah. She's not, she's never Kate Capshaw in uh, Temple of Doom, is all I'm saying. <laughs> What's that? No, she's perfectly capable of, you know, going off and having her own fringe adventures. No problems. Yeah. She gets out of the office in this season. She does. Vital. Yeah. I wasn't sure if she would. I don't know. Um, which I guess we'll talk about as we go. So, Neil, um, you can be our Samwise. Let's talk about Samwise before we get going too far as our, as our, I mean, that's brilliant that they mm-hmm. call him Samwise um, because there's no better helper in all of fantasy than Samwise. Yep. Um, I love that. And I know you're a nerd and I know Jack, you're a nerd. We're all nerds. So, I mean, did you remember that? Like the first time I can't, cause for me, as soon as I saw his name, I'm like, so cool what a cool thing so do you remember when you first were introduced to samwise where you're like oh and it was yeah and you're watching it live so you can't like pause and freak out you just kind of have to absorb that as it hits you've just got to roll with it yeah yeah you do i think it's just it's just another example of the amount of fine detail that is just there like all the way through this show just stuff like the use of well like you just mentioned uh, jack's like uh, drop lines um but also the use of color. There's just so many things that signal other things that are going on. And just, it impressed me that there was there's that level of kind of Easter egg in there that you, you really can go back over so many watches and go, oh yeah, I might not have noticed that first time, but actually, yep, that's kind of pulled from here. That's pulled from somewhere else. There's just so many references. Uh, but I do remember that one specifically and being like, hmm, I know what you did there. I like it. I like it very much. Because it plays, right? It plays for all of the Lord of the Rings nerds. You're like, oh, I love it. But he's yep. also wise. It's also, so it's like, yep. it's it's very good. Um, I like him as a character, Jack. What, what did, you know, obviously, again, this is your millionth, millionth Italianth watch. Do you like him as a character? What did Adam think of Samwise when he popped in as our, you know, mythic bowling instructor? I think um, the actor brings a lot to the role. I, yeah. I like the concept of the carrots, but then I think, is it Kevin, Kevin Corrigan? Maybe I think he like brings yeah, yeah. a lot mm-hmm. to the performance. Isn't that your brother-in-law's name? Close. Yeah. It's Kerrigan. 
Yeah, I know you're yeah, going to yeah. get yourself in trouble. You know. Sorry, I'm sorry, Ria. Sorry. Yeah, sorry <clears> that, that was the pause of like, you, you know, I'll just sorry. Ria fill in the blanks there with the screen, yeah, sorry, or the anger, right. the frustration, yes, or the absolutely. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I think he brings a lot to the role, and and he elevates what is the weakest part of the season for me. I struggle with the first few episodes. I feel the shift to focus on Peter and the 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 fragile nature or like you know i know olivia's returned and she's been injured but what they do with her character is not my favorite part of the season i think it takes a few episodes to find its feet again and he's one of the main reasons it does he comes in as this character that fixes olivia in inverted commas but also um adds a, adds that kind of new character and a new dimension that the show perhaps needed to to push on yeah he's it's a really cool idea um i'm all for a you know mystic bowling alley i think you know i, I feel like I mean, you, you know, you hide things in plain sight in this universe. So again, it's like playing with, playing with everything. It's like the, the reason we don't notice things is because they're right in front of us. So I just actually just read a book where um, uh, the, the, it was like, I don't remember what, which book it was. because uh, Anyway, there was a scene in the book where they, they were telling the story about um, x-ray techs were asked to, they were given lung x-rays and told them to find the cancer. They said these lungs, 50, 50 of these have cancer, 50 of them don't look. But in the x-ray, what they were really doing, there was actually um, an ape. Like they actually put a, a, an ape in the, in the x-ray, um, like, a, like a toy ape that was just like there in the corner. 85% of them didn't notice it at all. <laughs> Every single one of them had the ape in it because they were so focused on, I got to look at this. You know, I got to look at this. So I think it's the idea of, of hiding things in plain sight like they do. You talk about the foreshadowing and the way they do it. So again, it's like the fact that you put it in like a scuzzy bowling alley and all of us, I don't know how much, how big bowling is over there. But over here, there's never like, you know, I feel like doing something totally clean and above board <laughs> and I want to avoid people getting in fights. I should go to the bowling alley. So that's like the American bowling alley is just, it's, I mean, you're literally putting your fingers in holes where millions of other people have touched it and there's sweat and the flop sweat and people are sharing shoes. So, you know, you're never going to put like an important government agency in a bowling alley. So it's again, just that commentary. We can just hide things in plain sight because you're not looking for them there. So that's, I just love that scene. I just think that was so smart. I remember the first time around watching it, feeling like that Olivia storyline, it felt like it took weeks to get her back to where she was before her trip to the other side. But now, kind of when I watch it now, I actually kind of applaud the show for being brave enough to keep her, you know, walking with the cane and with the like the handshake and the fact that they did hold her back. It's still I mean, it still does take a while to get past it. But I think that's quite brave because other shows would almost have her back to normal within kind of two episodes and completely gloss over the fact that there was any kind of PTSD from what had happened to her. So I really appreciate the fact that they actually took time in the writing of the show to give characters kind of flaws and injuries and things that would have a, a longer reaching effect than you might get in other programs. Yeah. It's a nice call that because it's, well, it's about four episodes, isn't it? When like she feels yeah. kind of healed and back to herself and back to the, the forthright bolshie Olivia that we all love. Um, and I think th the mystery of that character is really interesting. Well, Samwise is interesting as well, that you don't, is, is he from the other side or how does he know so much or has mm. he been involved with that? Again, that at this point is, well, let's just put it at you know, this point of season two, I'll just say that much for Tony and those that are listening that haven't watched ahead. It is unresolved. And I think 
this does a good job of setting things up but paying them off quite quickly so the idea of Olivia going to the other side is paid off within four episodes it's not dragging it out for a whole season but it it makes an impact on the character still and on the show still without it needing to take 20 episodes 40 episodes however long they decide to do it for I, I like that they resolve what happened to her and her memory comes back by episode four yeah that's because amnesia gets old it gets old as a plot device um this makes sense because they're they're doing it because it's setting up your what happens to the body it it's it's a it points to why peter so he's you know the the peter stuff later it points to that like when you do this it can mess with your memories obviously walter has all kinds of of memory issues and whatever so there's so there's that's setting all of that up yeah it messes with your atoms it messes with your atomic level in fact right yes there it's so very good so again as we've just talked about it so season two um as we've discussed is is all about the uh two world world i mean i don't know i'm a dc guy and i don't know if neil you think of them as earth one and earth two like i do yeah you do yeah do you jack yes. think of them in those terms no, it's prime and parallel. Come on, use the correct tone. Sorry, okay, yes. prime and parallel. So Earth 1 and Earth 2 is what I like to call Parallel <laughs> is two lines. Prime is one. So it's the same thing. Um, but <laughs> yes, so th- there is, the pattern is sort of um, forgotten about um, for season two. Um, but again, is this all part of the pattern? Is this all part of it? So it is all about the coming war between the two worlds um, and how Olivia and Peter... And Walter and uh, Astrid Canner cannot stop them with some stops along the way and a flashback episode. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of, oh, and Neil's already made a face. See, we knew you wouldn't forget which one was when we get to that. And a uh, season one episode, let's not forget. Right. Not only a flashback. And a season episode. one episode. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's the one I was talking about, the flashback episode you're talking oh, about. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Okay. Eesh. We got a lot going on. There's a lot going on in this season. So anyway, but it mostly, as Jack said at the end of episode one, it's all about Peter, which is what I said from the beginning. Like, well, it's all about Peter. Jack said, just remember that. It's all about Peter. And so season two is, you know who's handsome? Joshua Jackson. You know what we should do? (laughs) Feature him a lot in this. And let's make him, let's put him in a hat. Let's have him on the run. Let's give him a gun. He is very good in this season. And he has definitely... He's cranked his, they gave him a haircut a little. He's letting the, uh, and I don't know what it is about JJ and guys with like, like you and I, Jack, don't shave really regularly, but we're not always like the full Matthew Fox, like three day stubble. But Joshua Jackson has that going on. He's got the Ollie Queen, ruggedly handsome thing going on. They really leaned in. So if season one was all about objectifying um, Anna, that season two is all about objectifying Joshua Jackson. So at least they balanced it out. And nobody's complaining. Nobody's complaining. <laughs> so, um, well, let's get into it. Um, it is very good, season two. And so, as always, we start with our favorite and best. So, our favorite episode of season two. Should we let our guest go first, Jack? Because he, yeah, he watched his highlights. So, I'm curious to know. Where his oh, he doesn't want to go first. Neil. Favorite. No, no, I'm good. I can go. I can go. Yeah, favorite no, episode. Just, how, do I, how do I call it? So, for me, it has got to be he says looking at the list going so i go i'm gonna go white tulip so episode 18 episode 18 this is the one with the time loop with robocop 
Yes. The <laughs> Robo that's, that's the best summation is there's a Robo Peter Weller shows up. And as soon as Peter Weller shows up, you're like, oh, he's either the good, he's either the bonus good guy or the bad guy. That's the very 18 thing to do when like somebody from the world shows up in the 18 land. You're like, you're either really important as a good guy or a bad guy. So Peter Weller, you're like, oh my God, I forget how great he is. Um, he shows up it's, and he, it's a, he makes a time. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just trying to, makes, we, yeah. we, we were chastised for not giving a summation of the episode mm. very well. So oh just, no, okay, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. So I find it really hard. Yeah. I find it really hard to pick a favorite because even going back over kind of my, my list of which ones were were my favorites overall, it's really difficult to define one that stands out above the rest because I do think it's an incredibly solid season of TV. Um, and now I have to be careful what I say because there are things that come into play. You see Jack's looking at me as if to say, watch what you say. Uh, there are some ramifications of white tulip, which you will feel in later seasons. Um, and the idea of the white tulip as well. So there is something tied to the fact that this is my favourite that I can't discuss, but it is a very meaningful kind of story about Walter and the white tulip. And that last scene in this episode is something which I think fringe kind of those who are like me who overly romanticise this show will find that final scene quite a bit of a sort of makes you quite emotional because of what it means to the character and what it will mean to the character further down the line and what it might mean to other characters down the line as well. But I'm a sucker for a time loop. Give me a bottle episode of Star Trek where we're stuck in a time loop where everyone dies at the end and then we've got to go back and figure it out. But I just think it's one of those typical episodes of Fringe where they take a kind of case of the week, do a lot with it, don't necessarily play it as straight as you might find it in other shows and still manage to push the characters further forward and add to the overall arc of everything else that's going on at the same time. So I think it's just one of those episodes that really ticks all the boxes for me with what they're doing with the story at this point, with then plenty of callbacks, which you will find out about in in the weeks to come. This is the one when we talk about like myth alone. This is what exactly yeah. what we're talking about. This watches... Yeah beautifully as like a independent episode and you don't need to worry about how it's going to interconnect it will but don't worry about it like it's a brilliant episode anyway acting is on point i know that this is kind of the peter um joshua jackson season to an extent like pushing his character but john noble's performance in this season oh, this episode yeah um episode 10 when he switches that's one of my on my like honorable mentions list when he switches when he gets the connects to his brain matter and he switches into like water rather than yeah. Power. Um, it, he's a mate. I think he's amazing. And White Tulip, yeah, as you said, Neil, has a very um, touching moment at the end, which will only become more powerful. I'm not going to put any spoilers out there, but I've already warned Emma. I was like, season finale, we need a box of tissues in the house because I am going to melt. I'm just going to lose it completely. And that's no spoiler. It's not. Yeah we don't know why but it's and it's beautiful and it, all, all of these things and that's where these drop lines and these little nuggets and these small moments you don't realize accumulate up to this really powerful finish my favorite too it's not my favorite but it is my best it's hit all three of us in a certain okay. place yeah. nice fantastic yeah great I just... makeup as well actually 
It's mm. uh, you don't see a huge amount of it, but the the makeup on Peter Weller as well is just so cool. All the the little kind of nicks oh, and bits man. of cable and stuff are so I, cool. And I just thought it's funny because I saw that and I was like, he's on the show for a week, okay? <laughs> and it's Ooh. like, you know, it's one thing to ask your main star, like more, like, you know, more, but ask Andy to show up, you know, every week as Lauren's put. You got to sit in makeup, pal. You're on it. We're paying you the big bucks. And I know it's, you know, it's Peter Weller. So I'm sure his guest appearance fee is more than most other, like, than if we showed up. However, um, he still had to sit there. I mean, you know, I'm assuming the shooting schedule for this, like, usually I know the shooting schedule for Buffy was actually eight or nine days, which is what was part of the problem is most shows shooting schedules are, are supposed to be five or six days. So I don't know what the fringe shooting schedule is, but I assume, you know, he's in almost, he's in it a lot. It's not like he had to show up for a day and leave. Um, so it's like, man, extra commitment to come in and have to sit in there because it's under his shirt. Like it's always visible too. So it's not like they could, well, in this scene, you don't need it. He had to sit through the makeup every time. Yeah. I really thought that was really good. And it actually kind of gave me a bit of a, of like a pucker internally seeing it. Cause it's like, ow, ow, ow. I just watched a movie, um, called Jane Mansfield's car over the weekend. It's from like 2011 or something. And Billy Bob Thornton wrote it and started it and directed it. And he plays a guy who's covered in burns. Um, he's a World War II fighter pilot and he had an accident. So he's got, you don't know it. And, but when he, there's a scene where he takes his shirt off and you're just like, oh. And I, I got that same vibe from this. It was like, it, just that feeling of what are you doing to yourself and the, the way that the pain and so the mental fortitude that it takes to deal with that and the, the healing process and everything. So it, there's such a shorthand about Weller's character in that. Um, and I, what I, the reason it lands as my favorite is because, because you bring an A-lister in or a minus a, a lister, however you want to, cons- whatever people who don't love RoboCop think of Peter Weller, fine, I don't care. Um, but to me, you bring in an outside actor and he fits into the four leads he doesn't dominate the story. It's his story, of course, but he doesn't dominate the story. Yeah. He doesn't take away from what Jack, you said about Walter's stuff and John Noble's performance. It's like they played off each other beautifully, those moments. Their scene is magnificent. It's just two old dudes sitting yeah. there. And you're just like, oh, that's an award. And the fact that John Noble didn't win, didn't he, that he didn't even get nominated for, for supporting actor for this season. Nope. It's outrageous. Outrageous, I said. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So... I, that's it's just all those things and again i'm a sucker for a time loop too neil um some of my favorite some of my favorite loop. stories are time loops and they're hard to do i just covered a comic that was a time loop i think people fuck up time loops all the time because they don't adhere to their own rules but not on this show these people are a fucking master class of writing and they're like we will not mm. screw up our time loop oh well, you oh, get God two God. endings, of course. You get yeah. Peter Weller character's ending, which is perfect. Yeah. And you get Walter's yep. white tulip ending, yeah. which is perfect. So not only do they create a time loop that seems to hold up and work on repeat viewings, you know, you, you and I've watched it several times and it, yeah, like, yeah, nothing yeah. comes to mind that seems wrong. We have a magical moment between Walter and um, I'm, Peck, isn't it? Between Walter and Peck. Yes. yes. And then we get two endings one which is very clever and kind of classic fringe where like you think his intention is one thing and as you said tony he's either a good guy or he's a bad guy well he's kind of neither really i know but you think it when when you, but you think up. he's yeah, exactly so you think he's a bad with, guy and he's going to yeah. break yeah absolutely but so perfect fringe writing again and then you get this water moment right at the end too which yeah will only become more and more important as the show goes on 
I love the line where uh, I think it's the first time they catch up to Peck uh, and Olivia is kind of holding him at gunpoint and he sort of says to her, well, all those people on the train aren't dead. And she's like, what? And he's like, they are dead, but only kind of dead, like right now and in a minute they won't be. And then it's like back to the start again. So good. Oh, it's yeah. But then I always, again, with this episode, I think even the way they then explain the science to the audience, so even if you're not like a complete sci-fi nerd who's maybe read many time loop stories and kind of has any idea about how these things normally work, the whole thing with like the piece of paper where it's like, you know, you start here and you're here, but if you can bend it, then you can be in both these places at the same time and make them kind of adjacent to each other rather than at the other end of a line. I just think it explains itself so well to just kind of the general audience as well at the same time. You said you're a sucker for time loop, Neil. I'm a sucker for an explanation. Like, I love Doc Brown on a blackboard doing a line coming off and going up here. Yeah, I love uh, water bending bits of paper and all, like putting a pencil. Yeah. I love it all. It's great. Yeah, it is so good. Well, okay, well, we'll you should tell us your favorite. And obviously, we'll come back around to this for best. So, My favorite is another, what I, I think it's another classic Myth Alone episode. I really love episode 8, August. Oh, with the rogue Ooh, yeah. observer saving yeah. the girl. And then that was so good. I think it's like a classic, like neo noir episode. Actually having to piece together a case and you've got like a, an assassin who's on the hunt as well. And you've got Olivia and Peter finding kind of a, we're getting a, the balance here at this point. I think we had too much Peter earlier on and then we push Olivia again, but then finally we're finding the balance between those and how that's going to work mm, as a show. Yeah as them being a pair now they're the, you know now they're modern scully and i think again it's another one which builds up to a very clever ending where it shows the, the, the smartness of the writing in that the observer has to make her important and he can only do that by her being responsible for his death which of course the death of an observer now that we know there's more than one which we didn't know until yeah. this episode surely must be important and have ramifications for the future too yeah, it's a good one. It's top. It's top five for me. I, 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 again, I like that idea of like the destiny being predetermined, um, and that it isn't though. That conversation, like, is destiny predetermined? Like, you know, William Blake's whole thing about I, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do this because it's God's will, and I'm, you know, determinism. This plays with that, and the idea that the that you learn that the observers are deterministic. I would not have thought that um, because why are you observing if you know how it's going to end? So that is an oh, that is such a cool idea of saying like you're playing with a philosophical in the midst of this, you know, this is the this and this was like they're going into Thanksgiving breaks so was like two weeks after. So people just had mm. to sit around and think about it. I can't imagine what that must have been like for you deal. You're like, fuck, I got to wait two weeks now to find out why, why. And then you don't get it in the next episode anyway. But yeah, I think it's great. I think the actress is really good. He plays the, the guy that's kidnapped. Like mm. her realization moment when she sees on the TV about the plane crash that she would have been on is really well acted. Yeah. The moment at the start is really cool when you've got his little gadgets and he's writing his notebook in this mad handwriting. And, and then they're trying to piece together when they find the notebook what this writing is and they can't write the coding out. It makes no sense because it's from all different cultures and time periods. And yeah, it's a it's brilliant. And giving him the American flag pin. So that we as an audience know who's who. That was so smart. Because you're like, because again, you up to this point, there's just the one observer that you know of. And now you're like, there's all these like pasty white dudes 
We're going to make sure we stick a lapel pin on him <laughs> so you as a viewer know which one's which. I thought that was really great writing too. Neil, thoughts on August? I don't, I don't think I can add to that. It is a great episode. <laughs> it is, it's just, there's just too much to say. That's, it's just all too good. Uh, it was, it was a great way to expand on the idea of the, the observers and yeah, the idea that actually there's, you know, it's not just September. There are, there are more of them and that actually maybe there's more to them than you've kind of been learning up until this point. And actually it just starts to, it's another one of those, let's just draw back the curtain. Let's just wide the world out just a little bit more just you know give you a bit more of a peek as to what might be going on or what you might think is going on it is yeah it's a great choice it's another sign definitely of top five it's another sign of them showing how well plotted out this season is but also this arc of a show is well there's going to be some conversations for season four and season five which we can have later on but to me this feels tight in terms of like when they started this, they knew where people were and where they wanted to get them to. And then they obviously decided some different things along the way. They're quite open about season two that they knew how they wanted season two to end, but where they got there wasn't quite what they planned in the first place. But I think with the observers in a year's time to a year's time, sorry, a season's time, that'd be a long break in between, wouldn't it? <laughs> a season's time, two seasons time, three seasons time. When we're talking more about them, like Tony, your brain's going to be like, well, they, now I think back mm. to this and that, and yeah. it's all it's all there for you to, to piece together backwards, definitely. And that's good. I was just actually talking to my wife about uh, Agatha Christie and why, um, you know, the brilliant thing about Agatha Christie is that she shows you everything. Like, you know, I, that's why she's the best detective writer. Like, I like other crime fiction better than hers, but like, there's nobody better than her because everything's there. Like she's like, yeah, it's, I know what you mean. I put it there for you to see. It's not my fault you didn't see it. It's always there. She never cheats. There's never a do sex machina in anything she does. And so I love that this show is clearly doing that. This show is clearly showing you everything, just like the bowling alley, just like the name Samwise. It can mean, you know, for nerds, but also he's wise. You got to listen to him. Like there's, they're just showing you everything that's there. So I just think it's, it's so fun. It's so smart. I'm actually, I got to be honest, I'm surprised it lasted five seasons. Like mm. a show this smart in the pre-premium streaming yeah. over-the-top days, like there's so many, like Awake, one of my all-time favorite shows, lasted 13 episodes. It was another fringy type thing with Jason Isaacs where he lives in, t- he, he doesn't know in I one remember. universe his son is alive and one yeah. universe is what. Did you ever watch that, Neil? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 13, 13 episodes ended. They're like, we can't, Christian Slater had one called My Own Worst Enemy where he played a guy with multiple personalities. Half a season. Mm. They're like, nope. So the fact that this made it five seasons, if this had not been on Fox, if this had been on CBS or ABC over here, the, the bigger network, it would, they would have, they were like, nope, this is, we can't, two million, four million li- viewers is not good enough. This would have been canceled. Um, so I'm just, as smart as it is, I'm just blown away every time I'm watching. Like, I cannot believe at this time, this made it on network TV for five years. So I'm just, it's, I'm glad, but it's, it blows my mind. I think this. I think the other thing as well. Sorry. No, you go um, now. You go. I was gonna. I was gonna say with the with the fact that they do lay everything out all the way through. I also never ever look back at it and feel like they were making it up as they went along. Like I'm sure there was a degree of that in there somewhere, but I never look back at things. So like the white tulip, for instance. Again, I'm not going to give out give away how it comes back later, but 
I never look at the moment when it does come back and think, ah, I bet you never thought about that. It was just a good idea. You thought, oh, actually, let's do that. I actually think it all had its its place. It may not have been a fully formed idea, but I think the basic ideas of what they wanted to do were just always there. I, I never felt like it was a happy accident, to quote Bob Ross. <laughs> No, definitely not. And that ties in. <laughs> my, my little thing, all I was going to say was like, back to those drop lines. I think season one, the big one was like, Olivia, have you got superpowers or something? And there's a drop line in this season about the observers, which I guarantee, Tony, totally pass you by because it's not important. But it will be. We, we could suck it out. I wish I'd written it down. I might go back so when we get to a later season and I'll say like, it was in this season. I told you. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, and again, you know, I don't want to repeat myself, but lost they made that shit up as i went along most of it i really loved but they made that up here it's you know another jj show which is why i keep making those comparisons i know the rest of the showrunners are different but here it feels like they learned the lessons of lost almost and it was because lost was finishing now i think as we get to fringe season yeah. two is the crossover isn't it it was like we've learned our lessons here let's have a really solid idea and we can drop these little pinpoints in that will mean something later on well lindelof does it in watch there's no, not one wasted yeah. shot in Watchmen, right? I mean, at no point in that where you're like, oh, that was just throw every every word in that entire... And there's only nine episodes. I understand it's not the same, but there was nothing wasted. And I didn't watch The Leftovers. You did, Jack. But I, you said it's it mm. takes the lost theme up, like the same thing. He learned his lesson mm. and he tightened that shit up. So, I mean, look, they're learning. I mean, these are all excellent TV writers, but they're also still learning as they go, you know, you make your mistakes and you, and you get through them. So, uh, well, we know, so let's Jack, your bet, your, you think the best episode was wet tulip. So mm -hmm. more to add on that, or you're just like said it. Nah, let's get on. Let's find out your okay. two's best. All right. My best. And we'll have Neil have the last word is episode 16. I actually thought Jack for sure was going to pick this one. Cause he's like, I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. I mean, white tulip and, and Peter is the one they're, they're, they're together episodes. Um, but this is, I think it's the best one. I, I went back and forth between the two is one that, cause I wrote them both down. Ultimately I decided best versus favorite aren't always the same in, in last, last episode, you know, I, um, they weren't, but least favorite and worst were, um, the, the reason I picked Peter as the best is because I feel like everything was culminating to this and without this white tulip isn't as effective. Um, uh, Again, I think Noble, again, between just those two episodes, give the man an oh, award man. for fuck's sake. He's so good. Yeah. The little kid who plays Peter, little kid actors are always hard. You never know. And, it, you know, so A plus casting director, good job getting a kid who can do a lot. Um, and again, drop them in. And the, and the actress who plays um, Peter's mom shows up and, and she's very good. She feels lip. So to me, what makes it best is the supporting cast that you bring into this like fraught, gut wrench of an episode aren't peter weller you just bring in like working actors people you, you know and they just feel lived in there and i just think it's to me again having not seen it i'm like obviously and i said i i knew at the end of our last episode last uh i said to jack i'm like well, obviously peter's from the other side and you're like is he is he though <laughs> at you um but i just love it i just thought it was so good and the acting is on point and and again walter getting his time to shine and you know, the things you do as, you know, the things you do for the people you care about um, and the regret he feels for 
the, you know, not being the father he could have been. And, and there's this commentary on obsession too. Um, I think, I think this whole show of what I've seen so far is a, there's, there's a commentary on obsession. And I wonder if JJ should maybe take a look in the mirror. Um, <laughs> he definitely works a lot. And I, and I know you mentioned Spielberg and his father and son thing obviously is always there, but I just think there's this element of obsession and it's, and, and, and Americans, you know, we are workaholics and we actually get made, like, if you take your vacation time, you're actually considered weak and lame and whatever. Like in America, you get a job and you may get two weeks off when you start. Usually you get one week off, paid week off. And most people leave their vacation days on the table. Like we don't value downtime here. And so there is this idea of obsession in, but that's a reward. Like people who aren't Peter and I can't think of his mother's name. They don't look, they're like that guy, Walter, look at him, Walter Bishop. He's a hero. He's a star. He works his ass off. He does all these things. He works for Harvard. Good on him. He's a great role model. And then his family's like, it'd be cool to see you once in a while, dad. You know, there's, so there's, I just love it. I just think it's so good. Sorry. I'll shut up. That's why all those reasons why. It's Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth, mom. thank you. The the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Orla Brady, who I absolutely love. She I saw her in a in an independent film last year that I'm now got, not going to remember the name of. Um, that she was brilliant in, and she's in. She's got a really big role in Star Trek Picard season two that just wrapped up. But again, anytime she's on screen, I'm just like love Orla Brady. Brilliant. Uh, I agree with you. This is the best episode of the season, uh, if not just for the 1980s theme tune. Which, oh my god all and the and the way that they did the hanging words yeah different, so good yeah yeah uh that you need to prepare for more of that in the future because <laughs> that is going to become a running theme um and that is just another example of the amazing amount of detail that goes into not just the story but just i mean even just to do that how many shows would do that with their opening credits for an episode completely reanimate it change everything about it which obviously they do again later this season in the yeah. season finale when it goes red um, and whatever it might do. Well, in, yeah, what it might do in the future as well. But it's this was nearly my my best episode as well, just because I thought, again, it filled in so many gaps. Nina's arm, for example, mm. oh. seeing what happened at Raiden Lake. It just, yeah, it's it's such a brilliant episode and kind of, really whets the appetite for seeing the other side, which we still haven't seen a huge amount of yet and will do in just a few short episodes after this. Yeah, absolute, complete and utter perfection. Yeah, I think one it of, shows this I will say it. Oh, go on, no, sorry. I was going to say one of the best hours of TV, I think. I would say ever. Of all time? Like of all TV? Yeah, of all time, yes. Nice. And I was gonna, I'll, I'll back that up. I was going to say, I think it shows the strength of this season, isn't it, that... That I couldn't find a place for it because I, I agree. I think it's a pretty much perfect episode of TV. Yeah. But it's we've also got White Tulip and we've also got August, which is just a personal favorite. We've also got Jacksonville, which is another excellent episode of TV. Oh, and yeah, I nearly went for Jacksonville. That was very high on the list because that's just a, uh, I, just, I just love going back to that episode for, mm. for what it does. Brilliant the science behind it. I think the yeah. writing of this episode, I mean, for one, we get the instruction to Walton it, which is genius. We're later going to get Folivia, which is also genius. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but the writing of this episode is, we already knew the story. 
and this is really interesting because to come back to Em watching with her, she actually felt like this was unnecessary. She felt like she had the story anyway. She didn't feel like she needed to see it. I mean, I was nudging her saying, I don't agree, but you know, you were entitled to your opinion, but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I think seeing it is fantastic for all the reasons you said, Neil, like, and to see um, the specificity of what happened to Nina and how it worked with what's going through the window and so many of these things are also going to become important at later points. We're going to recall back to these. This is another myth alone episode. I think the tragedy of the situation as you see it play out is so yeah. powerful. And to think of the decisions that Walter makes and how he makes them and how he gets himself into this situation, there is no right answer at all. He lost his son. Like he was broken. He did. Ev- He's the smartest man on the planet and he did everything he could to save his son and he failed. Imagine how that would feel. And then he gets this opportunity to save Walter's son and he does everything he can to do it. And he does it. And then the vial breaks and you just think, oh my, like, yeah. and then he brings him back and he, he definitely had pure intentions. It was just about saving Peter's life. And then Elizabeth's reaction. And then he can't like, like, and then you start thinking of like Elizabeth and Walter living with this and trying to raise Peter and then starts to fill in lots of gaps about who they are as people and who Peter is as a young man and, a, and an adult. And then you start thinking about Walter and Elizabeth on the other side, having to live without their son. It's, it hurts your head because it's painful and sorrowful and tragic and happy. And for everybody, there's no winners here. Everybody is surviving. I think is the right word in this crazy situation. Yeah. And they're all doing it. And the actors are just acting their asses off. It's so good. You don't catch them acting, which is hard in an episode like this or in white tulip where it's like, it's, I mean, this whole show is full of crazy banana shit. And so the fact that you're four leads, and again, it's really six leads, but it's four leads. I mean, I, I like the, I, what Nina does and what Philip does, they're good. But the four leads just, they are, you know, this beautiful dysfunctional family. And I love that about them too. Um, and, and, you know, Broyles and, and Nina, they're not, they're like aunt and uncle. Mm. they're not really part of the the nuclear family which is the four of them and especially the way um and then you know when you see you understand throughout this season i think what peter does this episode does is the way that walter takes astrid in as a daughter because that's what he does you know what i mean that's what he does like olivia doesn't need i mean olivia sort of needs dad but astrid there's something about astrid that they they what they need from each other and um, even though she always seems to be the one as his caretaker, he's really still kind of, you know, fathering her in a way that works for her. And you get it. That's just what he does. Like, because you see, you see this other Walter, this like workaholic, whatever. But now that he's made this choice, everything you just described, Jack, that's changed his whole view on how to care for people. Now people matter more than work. Everything matters. And um, so Astrid, even though he calls her Asterix in this one, at least once. Astro. Astro. There's yeah. a list somewhere online of yeah, all the yeah. names it's he's amazing. got for it. It's great. Oh, but he loves her. And it's and, and you can now you get why. It's like she's lovable. She, you know, she, I like her. She's very awesome. But it's like the way that he his affection towards her, this episode, I think, also kind of explains why that affection, where that comes from inside him, his like unlimited capacity to love, because he did lose his son. He gets him back. He gets a second chance. And so now he just wants to love everybody who needs anybody who's looking for a dad, call Walter Bishop. 
the moment between Astrid and Walter when Peter's taking himself off, he finds out about yeah. his his true um, heritage and he goes off for an episode, which we can talk about if we want in a minute. Um, I'm sure the moment in the kitchen when yeah. they they see like how Olivia and uh, Asher see how Walter's living, and then Asher's reaction to Walter is just like just just like call me i'm just like, I'm, I'm here for you and like it's a beautiful moment it's really simple but it just tells you where their relationship's got to that there's total co dependency isn't the word total co some something like they're both there for each other as much as as they need and you know it's yeah it's beautiful how their relationship's grown neil yeah it, I, I can't i don't really don't think i can add to it that's fair uh, it's just yeah there is there is it's difficult to say too much without saying too much (laughs) (laughs) well even if i had watched them all we would still do the same thing right because we don't want to give away more than we need to give away Um, it's just such a such a journey to go on that i just it there are very few shows that i get this excited about this far after they finished when it comes to a rewatch that says a lot that's yeah. a lot. I mean, you know, I rewatchability, rereadability. Um, Jack and I were just talking, um, texting back and forth today. Yesterday, I reread um, Elmore Leonard's Out of Sight because I know that's one of Jack's all-time favorite movies. The one, the Soderbergh one, um, with Clooney and uh, Jennifer Lopez. And um, it had been a long time, and I was like, I'm just going to do both. I'm just going to reread the book and then rewatch the movie, and see, you know, just because I'm just thinking about Elmore Leonard lately. And he and I were talking about this not long ago. And again, there's there's something about rereadability. And this read through of Out of Sight was like, oh, I, I got something different. You know, I'm a different man than I was when I read it the first time, probably 20 years yeah. ago, whenever it came out, 94, I think the book came out. So I I probably read it, not 94, but I probably read it before 2000. So it's been 25 years since I read it. And it's like, oh, I'm a different person now. And I have a different relationship with my adult daughters. And I'm a lot easier like Marshall Mar- Mar- um, Marshall Cisco and I have a lot more in common than I thought and Dennis Frito <laughs> plays him in the movie um, but it's like oh so it's just like you know so there's something about that too as you age to this show reaches us all in, in different stages of your life and where the relationship you're at with your parents or your partner or the people in your um, yeah. faux, faux family I wasn't a dad when I first watched Fringe right. I am now so it's different Oh, I think it's going to be quite different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So very good. Um, Well, okay. so let's make a change. And before we get into our least favorites and worst, we'll have Neil go last there because I know he's got a list. He didn't he didn't go through all of his least favorite and worst. He he, he watched his greatest hits. Um, Why would you do that to yourself? Fair play, Neil. (laughs) There's a few (laughs) others. I wonder um, the Charlie situation, does that come mm-hmm. up in your least favorites or worst, Jack? Or should we just address it, the three of us, the Charlie situation? Because it doesn't come up in mine. It depends whether it, it does, but it depends whether you want to discount the episode or not, because it's not a season two episode. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, we'll just deal when we come to that then. That's yeah. how we'll, we'll address the Charlie issue. Okay. That's your, is that your least favorite or your worst? Or is it the same? least favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. All right. Um, let's talk about it. Least favorite is. Um, the one from season, it's episode 11. Mm-hmm. It was the leftover one. So they actually filmed it. It was supposed to be the end cap to season one. They filmed it. And it was supposed to be the last episode of season one. Why would they think that would come? So then they must have realized that season yeah. one is the perfect ending. 
what that should have done is just ended up as a bonus extra on a DVD. But what they decided to do, and I don't know if this was the Super Bowl episode, because like in America, whatever network gets the Super Bowl, they end up playing like a show that they're trying to promote. Like they did it with X-Files on Fox. So because this came out in between. So it's like January 11th. No, I guess Super Bowl is in February. So I don't know. This was like, and then the real season returns with episode 12, the Jahari window. So this is a leftover episode from season one. So at this point, Charlie is no longer on the show. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. come back. Here he is. I, I can't imagine. So Neil can take us. Do, do you watch this in real time too, Jack, right? Mm, yeah. So you're coming back. You've been on a break for a month. You come back and you're like, Kirk Acevedo. You're like, the fuck? Why is he back? So you tell me, you guys talk about why that journey of what that must have been like to see this one. So essentially what happens is not only does they unearth, it's called Unearthed, which is an unearthed episode. It's a double entendre, but also a teenager comes back from the dead after being possessed by a missing soldier and she speaks Russian and wackadoo bullshit happens. So Jack, please tell us why this is your least favorite episode. Well, I mean, it's not a good episode. I mean, it's a standalone episode that wasn't good enough for season one, and they stick it in the middle of season two. It makes no sense. Um, I don't think the acting's very good. I think that I think I understand why they've decided to drop it into season two. Because talking about white tulip, there's a few moments where Walter is struggling with his ultimate faith in science, but also with faith as well and he's sort of saying is god punishing me for what i did so i kind of see that they've, they've cropped this in here because this has that kind of like religion versus science debate within the episode that's the only thing i'll give it the rest of it is just yeah not very good i i think i think the the kind of possession idea has just been done to death and it's, it doesn't add anything here we have a similarish episode earlier in the season when we have the russian cosmonaut which yeah. again isn't very good, but does this kind of idea a bit better. I just, as you said, Tony, why is it not just given to us as like, well, no, we chose, chose not to air this and you can watch it if you want to. To make it feel like it's part of the season, if they tried to do something clever about and, and made it a, a parallel episode, couldn't they have just done a few little fixes? And made it foliar and made it could they could have done that, couldn't they? A few little they bring Kirk I suppose. Back. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So he's there. That's a great idea. I guess it wouldn't be a few well, little issues, a, so would it? It'd be a lot, but exactly. You could give it a bookend where it's you know you almost do similar to Brown Betty, where it's like oh let's just tell a story, and it's a mm. story of an earlier you know an earlier investigation that we did. Oh yeah, that yeah, happens like to be set device. during season one. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't if you if you just framed it somehow, it would make more sense. I have a feeling that when it aired, I. I knew, so I went into it going, well, this is just going to be a completely throwaway episode that won't add anything. It just is some random episode they had left in the can. So here comes Charlie, who's dead. Let's just remind me how awful that is, uh, that you've gotten rid of Kirk Acerito at this point. Um, but I agree with you. It just, it. I feel like this show does all of its science stuff really well. And when it tries to sort of teeter into the idea of supernatural it doesn't work as well and this is just one of those episodes that doesn't doesn't really work overall and then you get the added context of most of the audience wondering why this character who's dead has just reappeared and you just think this was the wrong idea 
the wrong yeah. idea. We'll talk about that. You mentioned Kirk, and I and I told Jack, who has not watched Arrow, his uh his mass his excellent appearance. Yeah. In the later episodes of Arrow, boy, he's great. So he's what a great baddie in that too. He's like that growly. I'm afraid of him in the dark. So what did you make to them killing off Charlie then? Since we'll just let's just talk about it. You don't like that, obviously. That was actually, do you know what? There's a piece of score, and I know I said this to you, Tony. I said that the music from this, well, this whole show, all five seasons, the music is outstanding. But there's a piece of music um, called, uh, the track on the soundtrack is called Good Old Charlie. Uh, and it is the most heartbreaking piece of piano score. It's beautiful. I listen to it quite a lot, which sounds odd because I've just said it's really depressing. Um, <laughs> but it's a brilliant, brilliant piece of music. And it, it makes for a great moment in the, in the, I think it comes up later when olivia realizes what's happened but i just yeah that whole moment where you realize what's happened and that it's i guess it's kind of signposted you kind of guess what's going to happen but i was sad that they wrote him out it was it was a shame but then a great way to bring him back later on yeah Mm. Yeah. i think it's a shame but i don't if i'm honest i don't think the show misses him once he's not in it agreed i think yeah the process of moving the show forward it, it's there's not a hole left when he's gone, which I think is probably what the producers were thinking, and we'll save some money here. Uh, and it's a shame to say that because he's good in the role, and I like the character of Charlie, and he's good when he comes back as the alternate Charlie. But the the main plot doesn't require him, so I think I think it's probably the right decision ultimately. And the, and and the reason, and the, I guess I hear that, and and probably it's easier to kill him off than to write him out because the, the whole point of the fringe division is that it's Homeland Security and FBI and it's, it's this cross, cross departmental um, agency. And so since Charlie was originally her boss, he, you know, to have her suddenly not work for him, they'd have to move out of Boston or something. And they have to, but obviously yeah. we've already established Walter can't have his lab anywhere else. So, you know, either that or they could just have, because they do make in the alternate Charlie, they make reference to the eggs they bring mm, back that yes. egg, which again, didn't love that episode in the first place, but at least they're acknowledging like it happened to him in both universes. You know, it's, it's the fringe inverted fridging, isn't it as well? You know, yeah. it's, it, is, is there a commentary there about the idea of, you know, it gives Olivia purpose to move forwards. And it's interesting that it's the female character being driven by the death of a male character. I mean, maybe there's something in that. I think here in terms of this episode, it's just a piss take. I think, um, the show was already struggling a little bit in terms of its numbers. It was dipping badly in season two. And then they do this, like what a, what a dedicated fan spent to think, let alone those who are unsure or dipping in and out. It makes it feel like they're not taking it seriously. And I think that's why for me, it's another reason for, for it, it to be a least favorite. The yeah. audience, I'm just looking at the ratings for season two. It did, it upticked quite a bit for that episode and then dipped straight back to where it was. Mm. Well, because they, took, they put it on a different night. That's why I was wondering, like, yeah. it must have followed something. You know, that back in the old days, when you had to actually watch TV, everybody, um, it, your lead-in mattered. Like, there was a stretch there on NBC where, like, f- there was a show that was on between Friends and Seinfeld. Does it matter what show it was? Everybody watched it. Because there was a half yeah. an hour, Brendan's a half an hour, and then Seinfeld's a half an hour. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You're going to go out and go to a different um, network that is halfway through an hour long show. You're not. You're not going to do that. So whatever show that was on between Friends and Seinfeld was always a hit. 
for a couple seasons and they'd move it out of that slot and move it to a different night and then it tanks because everybody just watched it. So I think the ratings for this episode being so high is they obviously stuck it somewhere where it's like, this is the place where you'd normally watch whatever. So people are lazy and they don't want to change the channel. So they just watched it. Um, so it aired something. on a Monday and it went opposite Heroes and completely wow. topped Heroes that had its lowest rated episode ever up to that point that night. Crazy. That is all crazy bananas. Wow. Wow. It was a know. 24% improvement over Fringe's ratings for the season to that point. And it's everybody's, I mean, this episode universally is panned. Yeah. So weird. So does this rate as your least favorite, Neil? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, ha- it just, it should have just been a bonus feature somewhere as uh, this is an episode that we shot. We didn't feel like it fit where we shot it. So here it is as a kind of bonus gift, not uh, this makes up part of what we're trying to do with this new season. And on DVD, that is how it is. It is a bonus. Because yes. I, I watched it on DVD. So it's not in order, You can, but I knew it was coming. So I made sure I watched it. I wanted to watch it in order. I didn't. I should have not. I should it's have listed. Yeah, that's the official season listing. So yeah, yeah. Right. It's that's where as, the season listings as it goes. Yeah, so that's why I watch it. But on the DVDs though, which again, the DVD for this actually came out shortly thereafter. So they mm. automatically knew as soon as the season was over, like we're not sticking it in there in 11. We're going to stick it as a bonus. Nobody wants to watch. Watch it or don't. It's cool to see, like you said, Kirk Asimov. But I think that is a good point you make there, Jack, about do we need him or do we not him? I think the idea of, and, and we'll save that for the 2022 lens, because what I love so far about this show is the 2022 lens stuff has all been pretty positive. So I think yeah. we can have that. We can have that conversation then. So um, so we all agree our least favorite is Unearthed. It was a short walk to get there. Or uh, least favorite. So what is the worst episode of the season? I have a cup, I have a list. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw to you two again, first checks. I'm I'm torn between two. And one mm-hmm. of them, one of them that's on my list is actually kind of disappointing mm-hmm. that it's there because in theory I should love it, but I kind of hate it. Kind of think it's um, there. I think the pos is far away the, the negatives here. There's a couple. I'm not a fan of Dream Logic episode five, which is the doctor stealing people's dreams and getting addicted to it. That's yeah. a bit boring. I think um, there's a couple that needed another rewrite. The one with the Bishop family history. That could do with another pastry. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, we can get to the 2022. I'm not sure the Nazi stuff sits that well. Brown Bessie. That's it. I, I hate it. That's it's crap. I should love it though. I feel guilty. I wrote it and I circled it and then I put a question mark after it and said, "But why?" Because in theory, I should love it. I love a weird standalone episode. Is it because it's episode 20? Like if this were episode yeah. four, would it's it? That be- shit Buffy always used to do. It's just like. We don't want to quite get to the finale yet, so let's just throw in something random. I, uh... Am I right in thinking? Is it now? I don't. I don't. I don't want to spoil what's coming. But doesn't episode twenty become for future seasons where they do something like this? Oh, is that I right? I have a feeling. Mm. Uh, let me. I'm just going to who double check that. But I have a feeling episode twenty becomes a specific thing from here on out. Um, I just, like, my community did this. something ser- recently, didn't they? Community did something the same. They had like they, you know, they had the episode when they do something. Like, it's like whatever episode fourteen and community would always be like, now we're GRJ people. Now we're really, yeah, yeah. Maybe oh. that's interesting. According There's to just, oh, is it? 
they don't even commit to the musical nature of it though it's like every now and then we'll have a, people sing a couple of lines like if yeah. you're going to commit go all in right it, yeah. no i'm wrong it's episode 19 in seasons three and four that are mm. become that episode um, i was going to say my like my most outstanding memory from this is the fact that you know there's a reason why this is a musical episode uh, so the week that this aired was the premiere of i want to say it was it american idol whatever oh. the fox talent show was and fox made all their shows do a musical episode yeah. it does say that, so, that that was the the producers the network required they do this yeah yeah so the, i remember the the bones episode that went with it that week that was also a musical episode and i just remember there being press around the time basically of casts from across fox all being like we don't want to do a we have no choice. I can't. I don't want to sing. I don't like singing, and so that's just that's always what sticks out in my head about that episode. Is even though there are a few things that I do like about it, like singing corpses, um, that that it was just it wasn't something that anybody wanted to do. Weren't there Which singing is, corpses on that Bones episode too? I think so. Yeah, I didn't watch Bones, but I remember the trailer. Like, I'm like, wait, is there a singing corpse on Bones? I mean, that's funny. I think they might. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but that's a Buffy moment, right? Like if that's in Buffy, we'd be like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense in this world. Yeah, it doesn't in, make sense in the yeah. future. Well, because in Buffy, it makes sense because there's a plot. There's a there's a demon who does this, and it's a whole thing. And you can, you know, when we talked about that with the the fucking finally, like we should all make sure to say somebody should blame Xander. That's what nobody did. It's always his fault. Um, yeah, it's it, it, and again, that's why I kind of feel bad because it's like I love. I mean, I love how they dress. They all look sharp. Listen, we talked about the way we, Jack and I feel about Ava. And like, this is again, boss Ava. That's awesome. She's attractive. Like I want her to be the boss and I want her to be the super smart detective lady that she is and that she's the hero. I mean, that's all great. This just on paper, you're like, this should be super clever, but it super sucks. That's it. And even again, we talked we'll about how great everybody looks. Joshua looks great in this episode. He looks suave. He's got his hat. Everybody looks great. Their hearts are not in this. As no. you, thanks for that insight, Neil. I didn't realize that no one wanted to do it. Nobody wants to do this. The only person who's having fun is the little girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'd rather watch an episode all about like water on a trip. Like, like almost make it like a just you could have just water we could see it having his brown oh, like, and then like right because he takes right yeah yeah so we could go on like on a trip inside his mind and we could that might have yeah. been quite interesting it still would have been annoying because we know it would have been a standalone but we could have done some drip feeding and some stuff and linking back to the past and we could have done some really interesting symbolism this is just a waste of time i like yeah. some of the prop design work in this so like the the, the mobile phones that they use being these kind of like silver bricks I quite like and I, I really like the glass heart as well I think it looks kind of cool so the, I like that they tried I feel like they tried and just had that looming network executive going but you need to sing you you need to sing Broyle singing is kind of cool though uh, Lance hmm. Reddick is is just an absolute dude and I love him in this episode he's great across we, he is good he's so it's a tough role to play the yeah. straight man in this series. I mean, you know, like he's keeping his shit together. Yeah, he is great. He is a dude. I love that. He's great in this role. Yeah, he's always good. Yeah. The breaking in half of the heart is a quite a nice moment. Sure. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's just bad. It's just bad, bad, bad. I just don't. I'm not don't a big steampunk it. guy either. And this is a bit steampunky. 
I, I like yeah, steampunk. yeah. I like steampunk fine, but again, it just didn't. I I don't know. Again, it just was all half-assed. And now that I know that, mm. all I saw was that it said at the request of the network, but I didn't realize the full scope of it, Neil. So it makes even I more think- sense. I have a feeling the Bones cast was more against it. I feel like I remember the Bones cast being really anti because I don't think Emily Deschanel or David Boreanaz... Well, actually, I mean, Emily Deschanel's got a hell of a set of pipes as her sister. But we had her Boreanazing. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I just... I remember there being quite a lot of kind of reticence to the whole idea of just the network demanding everyone make a musical. Yeah. Probably also the fact that they all then felt that they were just promoting another show on the network. That's totally what they were doing. And it's, and it's honestly, it's the indicative, it's indicative of the wrong people making choices. You know, it's like, look, yeah. look man, um, no, we don't want to do that. We're not going to, we're not going to, you hired us to make a show. So let us fucking make a show. If you want to yeah. have all the commercials be us, like if you're going to make us record a spot, it's like, instead of doing a real commercial, the commercial is going to be Joshua Jackson saying, stay tuned for whatever. Fine, we'll do your spot, but don't fuck up yeah. our show. Because because the problem with this is the show that comes after it, the the Peter solving mm. crimes with Martha Plimpton episode. Um, and I like Martha Plimpton. To be fair, my wife hates her with a passion. Like cannot <laughs> like won't watch the Goonies because she's in it. Like, she's the one missing out. Let's be honest. I, I I like Goonies never say die, but she cannot stand anything she's in rubs her the wrong way. She's like, beautiful girls, couldn't get through it. Saw Martha Plimpton, had to stop. Like, she cannot stand her. So it's funny to watch her because I like Martha I think she's fine. But anyway, so that whole episode, I was just, because I watched him back to back, I was still kind of annoyed. I don't know if that episode's actually any good because I felt like those two together just, but like that was such a downer that I should have stopped there and walked I, away. Yeah, I think 21 is fine, but I think what yeah. 21 does is it shows you how much the show needs Anna Torv in the lead. Fuck yeah. yeah. Joshua Jackson is great as Peter, and he's got some brilliant moments coming up in, in, in later seasons. But this show needs Olivia and needs Anna Torv as, as the lead. And this this is the episode that proves it. And, you know, we spoke in our first episode 10 about, like, Emma's the first person I've met who has struggled with Anna Torv and Olivia as a character. She likes her, but she's not... I know, Neil, that is the only face that's... I keep telling her, like, what are you doing? Like, the only person that I've known in the history of Watch the Show that isn't immediately in love with Olivia, which she's not. She's she's getting there. She's getting there. But even she had to admit, like, at this point, I understand, like, the show needs her to move forward. And she's spending most yeah. of the time dreamy-eyed at Joshua Jackson. Like, ooh, he's pretty, isn't he? He's a good actor, too. Um, but she, you know, she finally had to accept... Moving forward, we need Olivia. Yeah. I genuinely expected her to be huge mm. after Fringe ended. Right, I was going to see her everywhere. Like she would pick up another show straight away. She would become a big deal. Where, where, where is Anna Torv? She's got some show that is a. She's what? She's from New Zealand, is that right? Or Australia? Australia, uh, I think. Okay. Australia, yeah. She's got a sh- show out there called The Newsreader that is playing for free on the Roku channel, which I don't, I know you guys don't get, so I don't know how you can watch it. But I have yet to sit down and watch it because I've been doing this, as you know. But I'm going to watch it because it's like, hey, there she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to watch her. Whatever she... If, if, honestly, if it were just her reading news for an hour, I'd watch that. Like, I'm sure that's she's not the in, point of the show. She's excellent in Mindhunter. Um, which I didn't mm, I've heard she's really good in that. Mm. She's in uh, that 
upcoming TV version of The Last of Us, uh, the PlayStation game. She's going to be in that, uh, which I had never played. And I've just started playing recently. And I'm like, oh, that's the character that Anatov. Oh, she's <laughs> oh. Like, Anatov's going to be in all of maybe two episodes of that show before she's gone, sadly. But she's going to be in it anyway. Um, she was always yeah, my pick for uh, Sea Storm. I would have loved her to so, be in Sea Storm. Ooh, she's probably yeah. aged out now, unfortunately. So now I'll have Yvonne Stravowski, I'll, please. I'll have um, Sarah from, from Chuck. She'll do. Um, but I would have loved to have seen her. I think she would have brought a lot to that role. Yeah. Yeah. Competent. Yeah. She deserved, she deserved huge success after this. Her yeah. And we don't know. Amazing. You don't know. You don't know people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know her story. Is it, um, mm-hmm. some people choose to just be like, okay, I've got, I've got money. I'm just going to go away. Um, you know, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, you know, uh, who could have been, you know, he could have been fifth billing in everything he was in. He made a shit ton of money from house. And actually saw it because I like him. I think he's big. I'm a big fan of him. I, I always think he's good. I didn't watch a lot of House, but he's always good, you know, as the foil in that. Um, he was just like, they're like, why aren't you doing more stuff? You're, I mean, you were already in household name before and now you're at second billing on House. He's like, you know how much they pay me to be on this show? I'm okay. I'm good, man. I get to hang out with my kids and my, you know, I just get to do whatever. So it's like some people, you never know. And, it, you know, living in Boston, yeah. if you're from Australia, I mean, that must be cold on the bones. So maybe yeah. she was just like, fuck this. And I'm, I, we don't know. I hope it's not that she... Weren't was... they even filming in Vancouver by this point? So it's probably even colder. Yeah, so I was, I was going to say this is the season where they shifted from New York to Vancouver. Because it's so much cheaper to film again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, we dis- as we discovered when we watched all of the... Fred- I don't know if you listened, Neil, but we did all the pop gorillas. We did all of the Friday the 13th movies. And uh, <sighs> they filmed part eight in Vancouver or in, in British... Yeah, I think it's in British Columbia. And it's like supposed to be new jersey and they're like on this oh, river no. boat, you know because they're going to new york and you're like no it's not <laughs> even if you've never been to new jersey at no point are you like yeah that's what new jersey looks like in may there should be green and tr- it clearly is can't a canadian river um yeah well all of the cw shows are filmed there yep yep. yeah super cheap yeah you know. i thought fringe did a good job though i don't think you mm. can tell with fringe when they move like i feel like when you watch the x-files and they have their season where they randomly shifted i feel like you can tell that the locations suddenly were slightly different and like with the cw shows it's supposed to be basically every city within dc and yet they always seem to use the same like city square <laughs> i'm like well do, it's, it's this same landmark in like Gotham Central City, whereas Fringe, I felt like they they did it quite well, and you don't notice. Yeah, and that's what set design is for, because it did. I did see this did get nominated for a lot of those for a lot of the technical yeah, Emmys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but again, the fact she again we come back to the fact that, that science fiction and fantasy shows get uh, the shaft mm-hmm. um, because they they're not taken seriously, and and well, again, I'll just say. Um, how, how, how can anybody think that Leonardo or um, D'Onofrio, Vincent D'Onofrio should not have won Best Supporting Actor for season one of Daredevil? Mm-hmm. In a million billion years, tell me, in the last, I mean, yeah. I can't think of any finer performance in a drama series as from a supporting actor than him as Kingpin in season one of Daredevil. I mean, just like, and again, noble in this. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, dude is bringing it every day. As a supporting actor, like you said, Jack, it's true. We need Anna Torv as the lead. She's the lead. It's her show. I get that Joshua, Joshua Jackson is a good actor, but I get that. Oh, he yeah. Because he's just, they're like, he's that handsome guy. He's just playing the handsome rogue. He's a rake. He's this guy. It's fine. 
But what Noble does by playing different versions of himself and playing different levels of mental illness, and then you learn through the brain episode that it's not all mental illness, that it's it's been forced upon him and the reckoning. And he's so wow. good. As you now know, it's not he, been forced upon him. He did it to himself, yes. Mm. Yes. Well, to that end, let's talk. I mean, that'll be a good <laughs> transition to our 2022 lens. I would like, before we get into there, I would like to say um, Star Trek exists in this universe that Leonard yeah. Nimoy is in. So kudos to you, show, for, for doing that. Um, uh, Scott Westerfeld, YA novelist in his book, Afterworlds, he has the whole, he, that one of his, the writers in that book, it's a book about writers, says it's the Angelina Jolie paradox, whereas if Angelina Jolie is in your movie, she doesn't exist in that universe. Interesting. Yeah, which again, that was actually originally discussed in one of the most misunderstood works of satire of all time, The Last Action Hero, yeah. where mm-hmm. inside the movie, Stallone is the Terminator, mm-hmm. right? Because Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't exist in that universe. So it's already been handled. But I just appreciate that they're like, fuck that. Star Trek is still real. And Leonard Nimoy is in our show. We're cool with that. So I wanted to say I appreciate that. But my first question to you guys about the modern lens is... The way, because you know, it's two two seasons in. Walter's mental illness. Lots of other people have mental illnesses in the show, um, and it's depicted. I think it. I personally think it's done really well. Like, I want to give it a big kudos right off the top to say I think it's handled with care and delicacy. At no point does anybody be like crazy banana pants, lock them. You know, I think it's handled. I think almost beautifully, and I think through the compassion that Peter and Olivia show him. And obviously Astrid yeah. show him it's through them more than anything. I, I don't know. I guess it's, it would be easy for, well, I mean, Walter is funny the way that he eats all the time in the lab and everything. I mean, that is some funny stuff, but I don't ever think you're laughing at him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys yep, think? Totally agree. Totally agree. I think, yeah, there is, there's a beautiful tragic nature to Walter that is there. And you see there's those, glimpses that you get across the whole show where there's moments where he is frustrated with himself and his own kind of shortcomings and what he can't do because of the way he is be it through some of the things that he's done to himself or the way he is just consequentially to other things that happened to him and I do think it's written really beautifully across the show and the compassion that the others have for him or even the moments when they don't um one of the ones I was watching today I forget which one it was um it was one of the ones towards the end of the season where Peter's kind of gone AWOL and we it might have been the first part of the season finale. There's a moment where Olivia loses herself with Walter for a minute and she's just like, Walter, like focus. Mm. But she does it and she snaps. And then Anatole beautifully across her face just suddenly go kind of, you just see the character go, I can't because he doesn't have the capability to be more than he is right now in this moment. And I just think they do it so, so well. So well. I think it's, I agree to all of that. And I think also it had the danger of of it being a shortcoming, of him having shortcomings because of his like mental health issues. And it, I mean, he never does for a start because he's still pretty much the smartest guy on the planet, despite having three parts of his brain missing. But I think also having that element added to it lends so much power to his character that he'd rather lose a part of what makes him himself to make peter's life the world a better place it is massively powerful that that he's made himself lesser in order for everything else to be better i think that's amazing 
I agree. I agree. And it's, it's a, it's a conversation about selflessness. And, mm. and again, it's, it's what yeah. he's willing to do because of the recognition about that work, that workaholic guy that he was. And it's like, how do I, how do I change this? What do I need to do to make up to it for Peter? But again, because he knows Peter's more important than just to him, you know, selfishly, he wants Peter, but the world needs Peter and the observers need Peter and Peter, 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 as Jack said, it's all about Peter. Um, but as we learned, Peter can't be the lead of the, his own show, which is fascinating writing. It's so, and, and, and acting. Oh, no, it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just to... in my head right now. I'm trying to I reconcile know. things sorry. that I know are coming up in season three and then things that I know that are coming up in season four that maybe I had forgotten about. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that Something was... that just sprang to mind. But, yeah. Um, just also just more on the science side of things like look at where we are right now like you can't go 10 feet without seeing the word multiverse plastered on a poster mm-hmm. right now and yet it is the dumbest shit version of a multiverse you will find because it's nothing more than a plot device for talking about I don't, I don't even know what Marvel thinks a multiverse is. But then you go and you look at this and you think this is, like you were saying before, Tony, this is on network TV in America before the age of like Game of Thrones and cable shows and streaming shows. And yet it is like, it's not just a plot device. There is actually a a fully realized story that uses parallel universes. And now somehow it's a popular concept that we're using as nothing more than a mere trope and a plot device. That I agree completely because again, you know, growing up DC as it were, um, and because I kind of grew up sporadically with DC, you know, I I wasn't, I was buying back issues from the, you know, from the dollar bins and from, you know, the quarter bins and from flea markets. So for me, piecing together who the Justice Society were and what Earth 2, what Earth 1, and most importantly, Earth C, Captain Carrot. Um, Do you know what that is, Jack? No. There's this, listen, no, he's sad for both of us, Neil, that we know, but there's a, there was before crisis, there was an Earth C where everyone were planets, everyone were animals uh, on Mm -hmm. that planet. And so Captain Carrot was a bunny who would eat carrots. He was like a Popeye slash Superman character. I don't feel like I'm missing out if I'm honest. <laughs> but I had to piece together all of that as a kid. And I actually still to this day, while I love, you know, we just lost Marv or we just lost George. But, yeah. but to me, I mean, and I loved Crisis, whatever, but I kind of loved the pre-crisis world. Like I could figure it out. It made me feel smart. It made me feel like it gave me something to think about. And it made me reconcile that in this other world, the Huntress is the daughter of Batman and and Catwoman and in this world she's the daughter of a gangster and how and going back to the reason that the 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 time loop story in this is so cool because as you mentioned the the slight changes as the story progresses and you know it's like because that's how the world is there's just slight moves so I think yeah this fringy world the multiverse and fringe is much more of that old school you know, DC multiverse that respects yes. the, the, the intelligence of the reader and it respects the fact that um, there, there is a theory behind it as opposed to just, and I haven't seen Doctor Strange yet. So obviously Neil's not a fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, Jack. No, I just think, 
it's it's going to make a really really good drinking game when it's on home video because it's like take a shot every time someone says the word multiverse oh have you seen but it at the Jack? same time i have yeah i saw it on friday i think it's fine oh yeah <laughs> it's fine really it's fine. I, so they just say multiverse it's sam raimi so it's better than fine yeah visually and stylistically it, and but exactly as a story it's, exactly it's fine Mm. Uh, it's yeah I say that they should have called it um, and this isn't a spoiler if you've seen the trailer it should actually be called uh, Doctor Strange versus Marvel uh, Doctor Strange versus Scarlet Witch semicolon Dawn of the Multiverse oh mm. <laughs> nice that's nice yeah oh. oh I think Fringe has a really interesting nature nurture at its core doesn't it yeah it I don't know that's it's maybe obvious to say, but I mean, when you see the characters like Faye Livia feels lived in and feels real, I know I love her mm. performance as Faye Livia. Her body, how she che- she's got a swagger it's, to it, and it's exactly. great. She, um, but then you see her and she goes home and she's got this really lovely life with her partner, and that that's who Olivia might have been if things had worked out differently. And yeah, I think who Walton has become and you know, I'll leave that there all of these things are really really interesting about they're not just a version of a character for the sake of it they're not the evil leap in quantum leap I fucking love quantum leap when I grew up I, I, I watch the show religiously the evil leaper stuff is stupid um, the, these are real people in another universe and they matter yeah oh they absolutely do yeah mm. Yeah. And I think there's, I think through the 2022 lens that, I mean, the, the idea that um, the conversation between good and evil, we live in such a, a, Mm. a, you know, such a binary world, um, especially in our countries where we're divided over stupid shit and um, shit that, you know, and again, depending on the side that you're on, you're like, there's other people over there are really being childish and stupid. I don't understand. And then they say that about us and whatever, you know, you guys went through Brexit, we went through and you're still dealing now, you know, it's like last week when I saw two weeks ago when, I mean, I actually said, fuck out loud. I'm just sitting there reading the guardian. And I just went, fuck. And he's like, what? Oh my God. Like thought I dropped something on my phone. I'm like, Sinn Féin just won the Northern Ireland uh, elections. She was like, the world's, where are we? I mean, talk about like living in the upside down, but the idea of like that people matter and that actions matter and all of that is so important here because it's like, nobody's good, nobody's bad. Like we don't watch this and think, ooh, that's evil, Olivia, Olivia. that's evil, Charlie. That's just that Charlie. That's Mm -hmm. the life that he is. He's still a good guy. He still works for Fringe Division. He Mm -hmm. still has good, we may not like what he's doing, but to them, they don't like what we're doing. Parallel Fringe have a really hard job. What's that? Yeah. Parallel Fringe have they a really do. hard job. They really do. Yeah. It's they have to sacrifice 10,000 people at a time for the greater good. That is a tough job to do. Yeah. I'm surprised they're not all alcoholics. Well, yeah. And, and, and you know, and Walton is the classic character of there. He is, you know, the Mr. Secretary and he, he's introduced as a bad guy. But as soon as you then think about his motivation and you think back to Peter and like he's been living for what, 30 years? Yeah. Without his son knowing what happened to his son, that's yeah. that's that's going to mess with you. There's nothing. There's nothing else you can say. Like that is going to affect fundamentally who you are as a person. It becomes very cyclical 
Like mm. things that are aggravating one universe come back to the people in the other universe. And actually you realize that all the things that are going on are really just consequentially what they're doing to each other without mm-hmm. realizing, but it's all done for what you see as the, like that character sees as the, they're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but then you doing the right thing in your universe does this to them over there in that universe. And suddenly it's like, well, actually, yeah, there's a shades of gray, which I think, yeah, watch what you're saying. Uh, shades of gray become very important in this, in this show. I mean, you could almost imagine going back and watching season one from the parallel universe perspective. Yeah. And it would be as yeah. equally compelling as equally as interesting. Like you could watch them as parallel shows to see how each thing is continually affecting one another. That would be a, a fascinating project. Hey, IDW, yeah. if you're listening, we have three <laughs> guys right here who will write yeah. that comic for you right now. Mm. We'll write yep. Fringe Season 1 Parallel Universe, and um, let's get that going. IDW is the place to take that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's make that happen, because there's no Fringe comics, as far as I know. No, I a, don't think they have There was a few. There was like six issues, oh. I think. Set maybe in season one, like you know, with like cases, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't like a long running thing. They were all just like Scooby Doo episodes. Mm. They weren't like, oh, okay, well, that's. I'm glad I did. I I mean, I would still probably go find them and read them, but I'm just saying that's a brilliant idea. Jack said it first. We're recording this, so you own the copyright, my friend. That's you. (laughs) We, 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 we. no, no, but that. I mean, I'm happily. I'll happily join. Like, I would like to get to the. the Nazis as bad guys in, mm. and how that works. I know you said through the modern lens, didn't love that. Yeah. It just felt a little bit tasteless. I don't I, you know. I'm not against it at all. You know, at all. Like, you know, Nazis are the ultimate bad guys, yeah, but punch a Nazi. something didn't quite come together for me in this episode. Like the, the other one I felt the same about in terms of it not quite coming together was, I think it's called like Olivia in the lab with a revolver or something. Mm-hmm. Revolver. They played yeah. Clue. Yeah. Both those episodes just they feel like that they needed another week's worth of writing and they didn't have it. There's just something that's not quite I know there's some moments in Bishop Revival I like the the end with Walter and his decision with what he does, but I don't know, it just feels a little bit cheap. So not necessarily through a modern lens, just through a you as a person with a film degree, like meh, you didn't you didn't earn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort of comes out of nowhere and doesn't really go anywhere either. And that's disappointing to hear because I assumed it would. If you were ever setting up somebody to come back, it's this episode. Mm. Oh, that's shocking to hear. There there are the odd occasions where they set people up for returns that don't return, that you suddenly feel are incredibly not paid off, like Mm. the appearance of a now princess. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting her to come. What what was that? Why is she not back? It's like we give her... uh, So honestly, my thought was, Anna must really be hurt and that you need, they wrote, mm. a script. this is my brain saying, Anna's really hurt. We need somebody. We don't want it to be Astrid, which I don't get why that just wasn't Astrid doing that role. Like that would have worked. So I just thought, yeah. okay, there's a reason for it. But then it's like, no, no reason. No, they referred to it as like a reset. And it's a classic to, audience to... surrogate type character, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they see that if you read any interviews kind of around that episode and around that time, they were just talking about resetting the playing field, but trying to factor in doing this plot device with Olivia and doing, I mean, it's a very cool shot where they're all kind of stood around and it's like, well, there's no one in the car, but the seatbelts there and what, what, uh, where is it? And then poof, there she goes. But I felt like, 
as much as that worked and you did need someone to try and bring you in who maybe if you were a new audience member and you weren't up to date with what was going on that you could it would buy you into that world but then you go like way beyond that and let her kind of become almost sucked into this what is fringe division and I'm going to research it and I'm going to look at all their cases and tie it back to passages from the bible and then Ooh, mm. I am gone and you will never see me ever again. Because she was right. She was like a bit of a religious fanatic. So if there, and again, I understand that Unearthed was from the previous season, but that could have actually been your wraparound. Yeah. Is you could have had that be a case that she, like she's chasing a case. And so it's told in a flashback or something because she's the one who's thinking it's all this religious, yeah. chasing the religious angle. Um, and then it could end with Walter saying, you know, magic of science, you know, or whatever, boom, and we're done. I just, I don't know. It just, uh, I didn't realize she never would come back in again. No, and I think they've even, I'm sure there was an interview at one point around it where um, where they just said, no, there was never any intention to bring her back. But that's stupid. That's a, a, a spin-off, do you think, maybe? Are they thinking about a spin-off? Maybe, I mean, maybe they were thinking like, yeah. I'll be honest. I don't know, when did she, she's not a great actress. So, when did she go in whichever show she was then in for a few seasons i don't know maybe it was around suits, the time that she landed suits. suits that was it um maybe it was around the time she landed that role and they, she just wasn't available to do more um yeah but I, she yeah she doesn't she was quite she seemed to go down well with fans i remember it being well received at the time but she yeah odd one yeah so and this then, episode was what 2009 yep, yeah 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 no, she wasn't she went off and did one episode of The League and a film called Remember Me. Oh, that's the film with Robert Pattinson, right? Isn't that? The Twin yeah. Towers one. Yeah. And she did a bunch of random films, but she didn't go in. She was in Castle for an episode, but not into, until 2012. And Suits was 2012 onwards. So it wasn't like she landed a major gig at so, the time. Yeah, it's so very strange. wonder if she got Suits off of that because Gina's in Suits. Mm. She was on Castle and they're like, hey, you know how that is. Those two are friends and they show up in each other's stuff. Gina and Nathan do. Um, yeah. I mean, this show, I mean, honestly, if you're just going to have some random show up, just give me Gina. Torres, just have her be in there yeah. for two episodes. And then I'm like, oh, you can spin off her anywhere you'd like. I will follow. I will go watch <laughs> her do whatever she's doing. Um, well, anything else from the Modern Lens stuff before we wrap it up? I don't think so. No, I think it. I think it holds up really well. Remarkable. <laughs> you kind of intimated it earlier, Neil, when you were like, "This many years later, twelve years later from this season, I'm still thirteen years. I'm still coming back to it." It is really. It, I mean, some things have legs, and some things do not. Um, there was this doctor. Did you ever guys? Did you ever see the show Doctor Cats? It was an animated yeah. show. It was. It was a. Uh, it was the guys who made Bob's Burgers before, way before. So Dr. Katz was a, was a um, psychiatrist to the stars. And so it'd be like all these stand-up comics would come in for an episode and Dr. Katz would kind of cure, try to work with them. And then you'd cut to time with his son, Benjamin, who's the main voice in Archer and Bob's Burgers. So uh, anyway, so there was, this just makes me laugh about how things don't hold up. Ray Romano's on it once. And he's like, oh yeah, I was with my dad and he wanted to watch the Three Scrooges. And I was like, um, uh, and it was like, oh, just you and me, son, we'll have to watch it because the ladies don't like it. And he's like, you know why women don't like um, Three Stooges, Dr. Katz? And Dr. Katz's like, no, Ray, why? He's like, because they're not funny. <laughs> and so it's like, not that it's just that women don't like it. He's like, nobody should like it. It's not funny. They don't hold up. Is his? And I look back, my dad loved the Three Stooges. And I would like go, hmm, 
there's only so many times I can watch you fall through a piano and think it's funny. And I get at the time, it was probably pretty groundbreaking. And, and I'm, if you guys love the Three Stooges, I'm sorry. But I feel like there are some things that we hold up as rock solid classics that do not hold up at all. Whereas Jack, in our intro, the intro you've written, this show was, didn't get the love it deserved. But I mean, it, and maybe that's why, because it holds up so well. So it was so far ahead of its time that, that this show with this powerful woman um, who is competent as fuck, you know, I mean, the men totally take a back seat to her as they should. It's her show and they're running it. Um, maybe that was it. Maybe that was the problem that it didn't, it just, but also that's why through this modern lens, it totally holds up. She's, she's, she was ogled a bit in season one, but even in this, it, she's just not the only topless pseudo topless scene is in the Folivia. But that was, mm. that actually makes perfect sense. That scene checks out at no point did I feel like that was yeah. exploiting Anna Torb. You're like, oh, of course she's coming home. There's her partner. He's making her dinner and he's giving her a back rub. Cool. And then it was silhouettes. On he was, he was also topless to be fair. He was, it he was. was done very well. You know what I mean? I just think it was, so I don't know. It's, I am so, and again, cause I'm coming at it for the first time every time. I'm like, this show could have been made yesterday. It yeah. holds up so well through the modern lens. It's, it was, I, I mean, again, are they time travelers? Is that what it mm-hmm. is? I don't know. Interestingly, I am, um, I've obviously uh, tweeted and I posted on Instagram about the fact that I've been rewatching it over the last couple of days. And my first post on Instagram about it from yesterday is my most liked post on the, the Get Your Comic mm-hmm. on Instagram for the for the last couple of months. And it's the, it's the one with the most comments as well from people saying, I miss this show, which I'm surprised by. I, it just I hadn't expected that it would suddenly take off and people would be like, oh, Fringe, I love that show. Which, yeah, go watch it if you've not watched it. Please, please watch it. Yeah, it's remarkable. And again, you're watching it with M for the first time too. So does she feel that too, Jack? Is she like, does she, is that sense? I mean, other than a few of the technology things with mm-hmm. the phones or whatever, it is, it could have been made yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, oh yeah, it, it, it all holds up. There's nothing which makes it feel dated in any way whatsoever, no. Oh, it's excellent. Well, I thank you for choosing this one, Jack, by the way, just for saying. I mean, Neil, different. kind of, really. Yeah, that's true. You did, it was Neil who put it in mm. there. And then you were like, oh, we should do Fringe. I was like, yes, mm. let's do Fringe. So Neil, thanks, Neil, for saying Fringe out loud one time. And we were like, yes. So here we are. All these. Well, weirdly, away. while we were talking now, I was just like, I wonder if I should rewatch Dark Angel. But that mm-hmm. doesn't hold up very well. No. I, I am going to guarantee it does not. And that is what's so interesting is that Buffy, I mean, I have not finished this, but Buffy is still my favorite show. Mm-hmm. Um. But it does not hold up nearly as well as this. And it's the same thing. It's a badass woman in charge, but not, mm. you know, because she's a teenager when it starts in Giles. Like she doesn't, Olivia doesn't need a Giles. You know? No, and I'm that's super true. glad we got through the fake Tom Jane guy in the first season. Like that whole, don't love that guy. I don't know what it Who is. She married me. by the end of the season and then divorced by about halfway through the next season. Is that true? She was like, hey, fake yeah. Tom Jane. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, they got married. They met on the pilot, got married very, very quickly afterwards, and then quite quickly divorced after that. Oh, wow. Yikes. Oh, so you got to do it the way that they did on the Americans. They just met, and they had a kid, and they didn't get married. And they're still together, right? So um, anywho, well, this is, so thank you, Neil. Thank you, Jack. I just feel like I'm just on the train that you guys are driving, and this has been the best. I'm loving this. I, I am going to say, when I finish season five, there's a 
really good chance I'm just going to rewatch it all right, right, right in a row. It's arguably one of those shows that just continues to get better and yeah. better and oh, better yeah. and better. I really love it. I'm so excited. There is a moment from the series finale which I just picture and it just makes me well up just picturing it because firstly it's just amazing and so well written and it just also makes me anxious for the fact that you've got that journey to get there and you I have to wait. deal with it for the first time I'm, I'm excited a, I mean we may be on the same page there's a line there's a line reading which yeah wow yeah all right well Bits. I can't wait to, I'm not going to jump the shark though it's three more months no no, no don't do it. There. yeah yeah I'm going to take no, my no, time no, with yeah, it. but I do think as soon as it's over I'm like okay well I'm going to just fuck off everything else whatever we're going to do and I'm just going to rewatch this again no I mean it's very good. I really have enjoyed it. And uh, so thank you guys for, for recommending it. And um, so on that end, before we play um, the Fringe theme song, our guest, Neil, I hear you're a busy guy. <laughs> if people wanted to know about all the stuff you do, what would they do to find out? Uh, if people want to know about the stuff that I'm doing, they need to head to getyourcomicon.co.uk, which is where you can get all of your latest pop culture news and reviews and the like. And we, <laughs> we have a fortnightly-ish uh, yes. podcast, which is now back after a... a Two months, three months. Listen, break. Andy Circus. Uh, listen, you interviewed Andy Circus, and so you're like, I need I a needed break a, from that. Needed a holiday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the mere, the mere sight of Andy Circus appearing on camera and going, "Hi, Neil," was enough for me to need a a holiday. He <laughs> had to wear a diaper during that because he weed a little. I would have probably. You're like, oh my god. Was, did you say yeah. Andy Circus? How speaking of award ripoffs, how did you not win one supporting actor for Gollum? What the fuck? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, that was one of those scenarios where I was uh, I, I was only allowed to talk about a very certain topic and not mm. really allowed to waver too far from that topic in our discussion. So you're kind of looking at the guy and going, I really want to ask you about this yeah. and this. And I remember <laughs> when you were in 13, going on 13 with Jennifer Garner, which is just one of the, the best, like, kind of, you know, guilty pleasure movies of all time. Oh, that's yeah. just the pleasure it's... pleasure movie. <laughs> I don't think that's but yeah, so. Fortnightly-ish podcast, which is on all major platforms if you want to listen to our our ramblings. Nice. Excellent. And you should. And you guys are back. And I've not listened to the new one, but I have it downloaded and I'm ready. And I feel bad. Five guests. Five whole I know. guests. It's a big episode. one. <laughs> That's awesome. All celebrating uh, DC showcase Constantine, The House of Mystery, which is a very good short film if you've not seen it. It's only 26 minutes long, but it's a really, really good uh, coda to what DC were doing with their animated universe. Nice. I will have to give it a watch. And uh, Jack, you have a website. I do, although it's yeah, it's going through, maybe going through a bit of a transitional That's phase. What I've heard. Yeah, 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 you can read my stuff on uh, I'm Jack's Musings on WordPress, and then really you just have to put up with me being in your ears from all these different potential angles now, and it's all Tony's fault. He all brought into this world, and now he's spawned this thing which keeps growing <laughs> and growing like a virus. Um, yeah, so I'm obviously on Seasons Greeks with you, yeah. and then lovely indie comic spotlight when we can pop up on Comics yeah. Motion. We do, and then I decided to launch my own podcast watching all of Jason Satham's movies, which has already proved to be a treat watching Lockstock and discussing it with Dan, watching Snatch and discussing it with yourself, Tony and Tonya. And then next Monday, yeah, I don't know this comes out, um, but we'll be uh, releasing Turn It Up, the little seen and little known Jason Statham third entry <laughs> with Praz and Ja Rule. If your avatar Ooh. is not wetted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Dave also... really took one for the team there. You did. It's also Dave. Yeah. It's also fortnightly. That is fortnightly. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I love that word, by the way, for the record, love hmm. fortnightly. And I learned just for the record, fortnightly. 
I learned before I read my first Shakespeare when I was old enough to read that, that I actually learned what Fortnite meant by watching Wimbledon mm. as a young lad. Because they always, that's what, that's what they called it, right? It was the Wimbledon, it was the Fortnite of Wimbledon. Wimbledon and I was Fortnite, like, yeah. what does that mean? And I had yep. to learn. So I was like four or five the first time I, my mom was a big tennis fan. So, and so I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, you can, my website's AR Farina. I've actually had a couple of people who send me messages through there. They're like, hey, I got a bunch of free comics. People are like, hey, will you read these and review them on the show? I'm like, I will read them. And nice. maybe I will. And the last two, I said, yes, I'm going to review them. So very exciting. So arfarina.com for all of my stuff. There's links to some of the stuff I've written, um, reviews and fiction and other such things. And so I too, all those places where Jack is, I am. And, uh, and then you guys should listen to this. And in a month's time, season three, Jack and mm-hmm. I'll be back. And then season four, Jack's buddy, Matt. And then season five, me and him. And then the wrap-up show with Rhea, who will yell at me for saying her last name wrong. Pop Grillas Reunited to finish yeah, off Rich. Yes. Yeah. We're going to do Pop Grillas are going to do Summer Blockbusters. We've decided. Yeah, it looks like our next yeah. big project. Yeah, that'll be our July shows. We're going to revisit the, the last 30 years, the number one film for the last 30 years. We're going to each nice. review and see how they hold up. Looking at that list. Yeah, I mean. Spider-Man like- 3. Was please don't give me Transformers Darker Than Moon. No, the, not, please don't give me Transformers Revenge of the, Revenge of the Fallen. Fallen. Please don't You're give the, me Transformers Listen, you do the randomizer. So <laughs> you can randomize it. We oh, don't yeah, know. Good until, point. Yeah. What? You mean all the films you've got, Jack, all 10 are all really good? How yeah, did that happen? Oh, uh, well, thank you everybody for listening. And here's the Fringe theme song written by JJ himself. Um, we will see everybody in the, in the parallel dimension. Is that where we'll be? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know which version of you I am. All right. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Take care.